0: As the Holy Spirit says today, if you will hear His voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion, in the day of trial in the wilderness, where your fathers tested me, tried me, and saw my works 40 years. Therefore, I was angry with that generation and said they always go astray in their heart, and they've not known my ways so I swore in my wrath they shall not enter my rest beware brethren lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the Living God but exhort one another daily while it is called today lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. For we have become partakers of Christ. If we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end, while it is said today, if you will hear His voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. For who having heard, rebelled. Indeed, was it not all who came out of Egypt, led by Moses? Now, with whom was he angry forty years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose corpses fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest? But to those who did not obey. So we see that they could not enter in Because of unbelief. Chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, since the promise remains of entering His rest, let us fear, lest any of you seem to have come short of it. For indeed the gospel was preached to us as well as to them. But the word which they heard did not profit them not being mixed with faith in those who heard it. For we who have believed do enter that rest, as He has said. So I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Although the works were finished from the foundation of the world, for He has spoken in a certain place of the seventh day in this way. And God rested on the seventh day from all His works. And again in this place they shall not enter my rest since therefore it remains that some must enter it and those to whom it was first preached did not enter because of disobedience again he designates a certain day saying in David today after such a long time as it's been said today if you will hear his voice do not harden your hearts for if Joshua had given them rest, then he would not afterward have spoken of another day. There remains, therefore, a rest for the people of God. For he who has entered his rest has himself also ceased from the works as God did from his. Let us, therefore, be diligent to enter that rest lest anyone fall according to the same example of disobedience. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you will fill me with your Holy Spirit. I pray that you will give me recall of the things that have been meditated upon this week, studied in this text. I pray that you will help me through the power of the Holy Spirit be a vessel for your use this morning. I pray that the Holy Spirit will teach us. I pray that your word will go out. It will not be hindered in any way. I pray that you will remove any obstacles, any distractions from our hearts and our thoughts. Lord, every message that is brought is an important message. But the weightiness of this text compels me to emphasize this day, today, more so that You would capture our hearts in attentiveness. That You would give us understanding. That we would respond according to how we should respond. And so, Lord, You have Your way this morning in our hearts, in our thoughts, in our lives, and that we will respond in obedience to the teaching and preaching of Your Word. And we'll give you the praise because we ask it in the name that is above every name. In the name of Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Rest in Him. That's today's sermon. You know, we live in a day where it seems life is just go, go, go. It's busy, busy, busy. And and we find ourselves saying often, man, I'm I'm tired. I I just need some rest. I need some rest. And maybe that's your life, maybe there's just a lot happening right now and, and, and you feel like, uh, as we used to say, a chicken with his head cut off and uh, you're just kind of frailing around everywhere. It's just busy, busy, busy. Someone once told me that the word busy means being under Satan's yoke. Being under Satan's yoke. And, and it, sometimes it does seem that way, it feels that way i got a new way, though, of terming that, and after this message, hopefully it'll stick. Busy should mean being under the Savior's yoke. Yeah, I threw a little tea in there, but hey, I had to make it work, right? Because His yoke is light. He said, come unto Him. When Christ was here in His earthly ministry, walking around, He said, come unto Me, all ye who are, who are heavy laden. I'll give you rest. And yet we, even as believers, sometimes ignore the rest that's found in the person of Christ. There are many who in this text that we're being written to, and you know the subject, you know the history, you know the background, we've been been hitting on this week after week. There's a diverse audience that this letter has gone to. These were Israelites, Hebrews who were Folks who, some were believers in this congregation. Some were right there at the door, but had not yet committed, they had not yet surrendered their life to Christ. And then there were those that were there that were not believers. There were many in that midst who were thinking, you know what? Yeah, Jesus is good and all, but I think we need to return to our Judaism. I think we need to return to our religious practices. And in essence, what they're saying is Jesus is not enough. We need Jesus plus. And that's not uncommon today. Cults and isms that spring up, they want to say Jesus plus. Guys, it's not Jesus plus. Jesus is enough. We've been looking since chapter 1, verse 1, on through, how Jesus is better. He's better than the prophets he's better than the angels he's better than Moses we talked about in chapter 3 I don't think he concludes that I think he kind of goes on with this Jesus is better than Moses on into chapter 4 which actually I think helps us in understanding this text that we're looking at today and we'll be looking at and now he's actually going to go into Jesus is better than Joshua eventually better than Aaron why is he making these arguments? Why say Jesus is better than those things? Because this Jewish audience was struggling on the fence with whether or not to return to those things. So if they revere those people from their history, they revere those things in their life, the Holy Spirit, working through the one holding the pen, reaches out to compel them That Jesus is better than these things Jesus is sufficient and so we see in today's text and we'll kind of go back a little bit and recap some of what we talked about last time just to bring in the whole context because you recall in this section of scripture that we read today he's saying look don't if you today hear this message don't harden your heart And he says, you you want to look back into history? Okay, you remember when the people came out of Egypt? They put the blood on the doorposts. They had faith enough to do that. They had faith enough to walk and follow Moses across the dry land as the sea parted. They had faith to do that. But then they get to the promised land, and they're right there at the door. Knocking on the door. And when the 12 spies came out, only two of them gave a good report. Only two of them said, yes, we can do this. Ten of them said, no, we cannot. And that's what this is talking about. Their unbelief. And it was because of their unbelief and because of their disobedience. Because what had God told them? God told them, you're right. You can't do this. You're absolutely right. You cannot do this. I'm going to do this." The battle belongs to the Lord. God had made a promise to them. The problem was 10 of them didn't believe it. They doubted. They had unbelief. It was because of that unbelief, and we see here in the text, that God says His wrath was poured out upon them. That's why they wandered in the desert for 40 years because of their unbelief, because of their disobedience. Had they simply obeyed God, done the work of God, gone into the land, He would have given them victory, just as He had with others, and would continue to, as they were obedient. But they didn't. They had hardened their heart. And so this writer is writing now into this Hebrew audience, this congregation of Jewish people, believers, non-believers, those right at the door. And he's saying, don't be like those guys. Don't harden your heart. Don't disobey. And fast forward to where we are today, and the Holy Spirit saying the same thing to His people. In this case his people is the church and no doubt in our midst today there are believers there are unbelievers and there are those that are right at the door three things our rest is dependent upon three things first is fear so what? Look at verse 1 of chapter 4. Therefore, since a promise remains of entering his rest, let us fear lest any of you seem to have come short of it. Now what does he mean here? Well, this is this is actually good. He says a promise remains. Now why is that important? Again, who's the audience? It's a Jewish audience. Why were they wanting to maybe go back into Judaism? Well, again, they revered all these things. But he's just laid out an argument, and he's going to continue to lay out this argument in this letter. He's saying, look, here's, here, here's the way it is. Remember, they got, they got there, they didn't go in, they didn't enter into the rest. So they went in for 40 years, they died in the desert, the carcasses laid there, only two of them went in, right? The next generation ended up going into Canaan. Which, by the way, when they first went in, Joshua leads them in, but they didn't enter into the full rest. Oh, they had a little bit but remember what they were commanded to do they were supposed to get rid of all of those pagans in the land there and surrounding. get rid of them kill them all right did they do that no they justified their actions did not fully obey God and so there was no rest in the land from war they could have had rest in the battle But because of disobedience, they justified their way of life. They justified the way they were going to do things. Well, it just doesn't seem, doesn't matter what you think, you're not God. Guys, we do the same thing in our lives today as followers of Jesus. And some of us wonder why we don't enter into rest in certain battles. It's because we don't obey God. He's given us the clear instructions, but we don't believe him. Now, he's going to use this word rest as he's used, but he uses it in different ways throughout chapter 3, chapter 4. That's why it's so hard to figure this rest out. Many, if you even get five different commentaries, you probably going to get five different takes on what this rest means. This has been one that's just been, I've been... Man, just diving into it because it's like, okay, what what is is this supposed to... What are you saying, God? What is this supposed to mean? And here's what I I think is most true to the text and its interpretation because, again, we want context, context, context. We want to understand what is the author saying? Who is he saying it to? Then how does that affect us today? So here's what I believe is, is clear in the text, and I hope it will become clear for all of us as we unpack it. He starts off, again, appealing to those Israelites. And he says that they didn't enter into rest. But he says a promise remains. That means it wasn't fulfilled. The rest that was being talked about was not fully received. And we know this, again, because why? Who does the writer quote? He quotes David. Remember last week we we looked at... Uh, flip back over to page, or, or the next page over, chapter 3, or whatever you're, wherever it is in your Bible. Um, if you've got an inspired Bible, anyway, I won't go there. Um, the verse 7 of chapter 3, this is where he begins to quote um, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts, as in the rebellion, in the day of the trial in the wilderness, where your fathers tested me, tried me, saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was angry with that generation and said, They always go astray in their heart. They've not known my way, so I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Who is he quoting there? David. Remember, we talked about this last week. So David is writing that in Psalm 95, right? And so there's David talking about it. And, and, and also we find this out in verse, go back over to chapter 4. Notice in verse 7, and I know we're kind of jumping around, but I want to just sort of give you this picture and we'll come back into the context. He says, again, it designates a certain day saying in David. See that? Saying in David, today. You know what I like about this Hebrews passage here too? You know what it teaches us? Exegetical teaching. He's taking an Old Testament Scripture passage and he has begun to explain this verse by verse, line by line, in essence. He's, he's giving you the context. But here's, so, so here's what I want you to get. He says... They did not enter the rest the promise still remains then he cites David David is citing obviously today David's day that was about 400 years past that day and now you've got the Hebrew writer saying today which is you know how many years past David's writing A thousand and then we've got us reading it saying today which is 2000 years plus when is God operating now now if you're hearing this today do not harden your heart as in the day of rebellion why did they not enter into rest that was promised to them because of disbelief and disobedience Why is there some of you here today, some of you watching via the internet, some of you listening via the radio, why will you not enter into God's rest? Disobedience. Disbelief. Hey, hasn't this been the problem since the beginning of time? In the beginning of time, Satan tempts to plant a seed to doubt the Word of God, doubt what God has said. The Israelites doubt what God has said. David in his day never experienced the rest, disobedience. These Hebrew people that he was writing to were on the fence, some wanting to go back to Judaism because they did not believe Christ was better. He was enough. Why will people in the church that you know, and you know these stories. This is why people struggle with the idea of salvation not being eternal that people can lose their salvation people cannot lose their salvation but here's what happens just like the Israelites they get there at the door and they don't believe they never had saving faith oh they're professors there was a whole group of Israelites to come out the whole group came out the whole group was led by Moses but not the whole group believed just because people sit in church pews doesn't make them a Christian Just because you faithfully come here does not make you a born-again believer in Christ. And we should fear. Reverential fear. That's what this word is talking about in the text. A reverential fear. We had better look at the examples of the past. And today, fear lest we come short. But now, let me, let me explain here because, the, because our text doesn't, doesn't interpret this properly. Here's, here's what I don't want you to fear because here's what some of the Jewish people that this was being written to were doing. They were fearing it was too late. They were fearing the promise had already come and it was already too late and, the, and the, the, that there was no hope for them in entering the rest. And so the interpretation of this text, is some of you may have a good commentary note there that clarifies it, um, it, it, it's actually best to say that you've not. It's not that you've come short of it. There's still today. Today's an opportunity. Today's a chance. Don't think it's past. That's what he's trying to say here. Um, The entire phrase could be translated lest you think you've come too late to enter into the rest of God. MacArthur. With reverential fear all are to examine their own spiritual condition and to actively press for commitment on the part of others. That's that's the writer's point here. There's a mixed audience They revered the history of the Jewish people. So he's using this argument. He says, therefore, since a promise remains, so it's still there, still open, entering into his rest, lest uh, uh, us fear, lest any of you seem to have come short of it. In other words, saying, look, don't, don't think you've come short of it. For indeed, the gospel was preached to us as well as to them, but the word which they heard did not profit them. We not only see fear, we see faith. Now, it wasn't the full gospel in the sense that when we think of the gospel, this word here used is better translated, obviously, good news is what it means, good news. They heard good news. Hey, there's promised land flowing with milk and honey. There's good news. It's for your rest. The Israelites. Now, here's what we don't want to do, because this is where it gets tricky. This is where I think a lot of us, especially theologians, want to. we kind of get messed up. We can't, we can't equate the Canaan land, the promised land, that rest, the same as we would equate today rest as heaven. Uh-uh. Canaan's not representative of heaven in this text. Again, we know that's not true because we talked about last time Moses didn't enter Canaan. Is Moses in heaven? Of course so. In fact, we're going to see him a little bit later in the great hall of faith, right? so what does rest mean again in the promise in the good news of what they had at that point the promised land that was to come was going to be a rest in a sense there was a temporary rest and there is what we would call a fulfilled rest now how do I know this because we just read it in the text a little while ago here's something he did now go ahead and jump ahead kind of get us kind of near the end but maybe we'll walk it back a little He says, remember what else he does? So not only do we see him saying today, his day. He not only says today, David's day. He not only says today, Israel's day. He did something else in the text we read this morning. He appeals back all the way to the beginning of time. And he gives an illustration. He says, you remember how the father, he worked? And on the seventh day, what did he do? He rested. He rested. He rested from the work. It was finished. It was complete. There's a Sabbath rest. Oh, he's he's trying to paint a picture for these Jewish people. Oh yeah, there's there's some temporary rest. You can get victories from the battles. You can have rest from the battles. Believer, let's make some application today. Did you know that you can live in this land victorious as an overcomer in Jesus Christ and have some rest from the battles you face in Christ through faith and obedience? That doesn't mean you arrive in heaven, right? We're still in the flesh, just like the Canaanites, just like the Jewish people who rested in the Canaan land, they ended up having battle still. As long as we're this side of glory, we have in a sense that. But guys, you, we are carrying too much some days and we need to rest in the finished work of Christ. Christ is giving. Because remember, oh, the prophets spoke in old days gone by. Oh, we had Moses, we had the... But in these last days, the Son, Jesus, has spoken. Jesus, and this is why Hebrews 2 was all about the incarnation. We talked about... He's painting a picture. He's giving us the full story. Jesus came... And because of His incarnation, He now can be a representative and a high priest in such a way. We don't struggle without one who can relate. He was tempted in every way we are yet without sin. And now He's blazed a trail for us. And we can follow, we can take upon ourselves His yoke which is light. We can follow His way instead of doing things our way. Through our disobedience, we will fight. We will struggle. We will not be overcomers. This is why so many Christians face so many battles and don't experience victory is because they don't believe or they don't obey. And we wonder why our world's falling apart. And yet, this the Hebrew writer is laying these things out from chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3, all the way up here now to chapter 4. Jesus is your Sabbath rest. That which was lost in the first Adam is restored in the second Adam. And by receiving Him, His grace is sufficient. You don't need to return to these ritualistic things. Those were shadows, those were types. Those were representations. The the promised land. those, Those things. No, that's pointing to the Savior, Jesus Christ. And yet even we, the church today, can still somewhat understand that when we come to Christ in saving faith, we're not immediately ushered into the eternal presence of God. But we can experience... A level of rest in Christ, and I'm convinced that this is part of the problem and struggle with the church. This is why we have so many. Uh, uh, we're so much like the world. Our divorce rates are the same. We we practice the same sins. We we you know we're not much different. Why? Because we're not believing. Because belief results in action. If we really believed this roof was about to collapse on our head, and we really believed that, we'd all run out this door. But if we didn't really believe it, we wouldn't. And yet we as Christians, oh, I believe that, I believe that. But it doesn't result in action. Fear, faith, and finished work. Look in verse 3. Look, they heard good news. It was preached to us as well as to them. But the word which they heard did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in those who heard it. I don't, hold on a second. I don't want to skip over that. What does that tell you? It tells me that if grace... Is it mixed with faith? There's no fruit. Faith without works is dead, right? Grace without faith is that really a gift? It's not an appropriated gift. Those people applied the blood to their posts. They applied, you know, they're their, 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 in, in going through the, the dry land, but they stopped short. And that's why there are many people who grow up in the church, come to church faithfully, and then they walk away from the faith and we leave our heads scratching. Well, were they really saved? And then to make ourselves feel good, we want to justify. Well, I remember when they went to that altar. I remember, I got it written in my Bible the day they prayed. Gang, this message should scare you to heaven. It really should. Because walking an aisle, repeating a prayer, does not save your soul. Now some of you have been saved by that. Don't misunderstand what I'm saying. But if you're looking back to the past and say, oh, well, I put blood on my doorpost. Oh, I walked through the Red Sea. I walked that aisle, I got baptized. Modern day translation. But I walk away from the faith. I think there's a great warning here that says you were never saved in the first place. Now, again, I don't know the heart of man. Only God knows that. And there were some who wandered in the desert, we've explained that, that were truly saved. But this should be great warning and great concern that should motivate us to examine ourselves to see, am I really in the faith? Or am I just banking on a repeated prayer that was magic words? Or because my mom or my daddy told me I got saved when I was five? Guys, that faith must be on. That faith must be appropriated. Faith begets action. But notice again, we'll move on to three. The finished work. Verse 4-3. For we who believe do enter that rest, as he has said. So I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Again, talking about those... Uh, in the past, although the works were finished from the foundation of the world, oh, that's interesting, huh? You know, Christ was said he was he was slain before the foundation of the world. Right? This is God's plan, guys. It's done. It's finished. When God, even before then, but we in this text, we go on to see that. After he worked, he rested. See, verse 4. For he has spoken in a certain place, certain place of the word of God, the seventh day in this way. And God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And yet here in the Psalm 95, he says, They shall not enter my rest. Again, referencing David, also going back to the Canaan time. You see three things here under his finished work. You see the creation rest, verses 4 and 5. You see the Canaan rest, here verses 6 through 8. Listen to it. Since therefore it remains that some must enter it, and those to whom it was first preached did not enter because of disobedience, again, he designates a certain day saying in David, today, after such a long time as it has been said, today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, then he would not afterward have spoken of another day. So see, we know they didn't get rest even though they got into Canaan. Joshua couldn't give it. Moses couldn't give it. David couldn't give it. But you know who can give it? Jesus Christ. Jesus is better. That's his argument. The deity argument's there too. God has the authority to say the work's done is finished. What did Jesus say upon the cross? It is finished. He has the authority to do that because He's God incarnate. And only God can give you the ultimate satisfying rest. Not only in your daily battles, but in the ultimate victory that will come in the future. There's five rests. Some have cited there are five rests. God's Sabbath rest. Canaan rest. The believer's rest. Rest and present at salvation, overcomer's uh, present rest of victory, and the eternal rest, which is heaven, which is still to come. Some have even referenced that the millennium is a type of promised land rest, that in the millennium there will be a rest, and there will be. That's why I believe the writer doesn't pin down exactly which rest he's speaking of. There's a variety of rests that are described here, and I think that's intentional. But ultimately, it's all still found in the one source. God Himself. Christ Jesus. God's Sabbath rest is like our salvation rest, following the finished work of Christ on the cross. Canaan rest is likened unto our life of victory as we walk by faith. So there's a past, present, and future rest for those who come unto Him. Bob Diffenbaugh. What does he mean? Well, again, as I mentioned earlier, let's give some practical application. Here's where we're at. Today, if you are here, or you are listening, or you are watching... God extends to you a promise. Come unto me. That's what he says. All you who are working your way, you're trying to earn your salvation, you're trying to do things to make yourself in good standing with God, he says, stop. Stop. Rest. Come unto me. If you're heavy laden you're laboring you're trying these good deeds you're trying to get there in your own strength that's disbelief because God says I've provided a way it's through my son Christ Jesus and he says come to him he will give you rest let me give you an illustration I used to work on cruise line all you guys know that some of you have seen my James Brown video circulating the internet I was much better in the day I promise True story. We were out coming from the Bahamas, and uh, we were out good ways out at sea. I think it was somewhere nine miles plus out from the Bahama Islands. And we have a guy that stands up on the officer deck, and he looks through his binoculars, and he's on the bridge, and he keeps his eye out on things as the ship's sailing. Well, one day, it was a Beautiful sunny day, and if any of you have ever seen the Caribbean waters, it's amazing when that sun is glaring down. It's just beautiful. But he notices something, kind of catching a little reflection. So they called to turn the ship, head that direction. Well, come to find out there was a tourist who had gone out on a sea dew, and he got away from the island and it cut off on him and he was caught in the current and he had drifted out nine plus miles out into the ocean and been out there for pretty much the whole day. Now you can imagine when we finally got to him he was sunburnt, chapped, I mean that was a rough day. And if you've ever been in the Bohemian sun it doesn't take long to burn, let me just tell you. all right. When I used to work on the ship, this is what my tan looked like, okay? I was a lobster. Now think about this for a minute. This guy, in his strength, was doing everything he could to try and paddle and try to get himself because he needed to be saved. And he was working as hard as he could. He said he just tried. He tried to paddle back to the shore. He was using everything he could to try and get to safety, to be saved, and he couldn't. In his own strength, he could not. Someone had to reach down to where he was and save him. Now, once he was on the ship, he was saved. Now, we didn't do this to him, but to carry the illustration to the biblical point, here's what we could have done. Now that you're on the ship, you're saved, we need you to work. We need you to... Do some work on board I'm glad to do it where's the dishes where's the mop I'll do the deck his work has nothing to do with his salvation and he's able to do that with ease because he knows he's safe he's at rest guys when we are born again we are saved God has reached down through the person of Jesus Christ and He offers us salvation. But as believers, the work's not done. And this is why we're going to get into next week about striving to enter the rest. We're going to talk about it. You're not just, you know, coast mode as a believer. Oh, well, I got my fire insurance. Let's go back to party animal. That's an 80 term, by the way. Some of y'all probably don't know. there's still work to be done. Let's don't be like Joshua and the Israelites who eventually do go into the promised land, but fall short through disobedience. Guys, there are rewards to be lost. One day we will stand before Holy God and give an account. Now, you may be saved on your way to heaven. But maybe you've not entered into the rest that God has for you. You never will until you're willing to surrender. Until self's willing to get off the throne, you're willing to die to self and let Christ have His rightful place in your life. That's what we need. That yoke is light. Yeah? There's work to be done, no doubt, but we can rest in Him. Well, you've heard the uh, infamous name of John Wilkes Booth. He assassinated President Abraham Lincoln in 1865. But have you heard about... Edwin Booth. Edwin Booth is John's eldest brother. Edwin, a well-known actor, was waiting at a Jersey City train station when he saw someone slip and fall off the platform. Edwin quickly grabbed the man's collar and pulled him to safety, rescuing him from serious injury or death. Who was the man he saved? Abraham Lincoln's son, Robert. A soldier in the Civil War. How ironic that the man who saved Lincoln's son had a brother who would soon kill the president. One saved a life, one took a life. One chose life, the other chose death. The Lord gave His people a choice between life and death. They could love Him and obey His commands. Deuteronomy 30, 16. Or they could worship and serve other gods. Verse 17 of that text. He told them, I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing, therefore choose life verse 19 of Deuteronomy 30 you know we too have a choice between life and death we can receive Jesus as our Savior and live with him forever or we can reject Jesus and be in darkness forever without him the best choice is clear receive God's gift of his son Jesus choose life and us our daily bread. The great point is lest we come short of the heavenly rest by failing in the faith which will give us rest. We must take heed lest we fail to discern the fact that the whole way of salvation is of faith. a you know, little girl laid in her bed, and she rolled out and fell on the floor. And her dad came in and picked her up and said, Honey, what happened? She said, Well, I rolled out of my bed. I guess I should have got a little further away from where I got in. You know what, Christian? You don't got to worry about falling out of salvation. But for some of us, we need to get a little further away from where we came in. put our heart and our eyes on Christ don't do as the day as they did in the day of rebellion you know they chose sides go back and read the account go back and read the account of Korah they were, they were back and forth against Moses so he said alright those that are with them get over there those that are with us get over here once they chose sides ground opened up swallowed them don't, don't take my account, read it. Choose this day whom you will serve. The just shall live by faith. The just shall live by faith. God's given us some beautiful promises. We need to walk in them. He keeps His Word. Let's pray. Father, there's much more here that needs to be unpacked, and I I trust that in Your time we will. I pray, Lord, that uh, if there is anyone here that has never received Christ as Lord and Savior, that today they will surrender their heart and life to Jesus Christ. Christ desires that they would enter into rest. He won't force them. But his offer is there. Whosoever will, let them come. And maybe you're here, maybe you're listening, maybe you're watching, and you have never by faith repented of your sin. Today, is the day of salvation. I beg you, do not harden your heart. Do not draw back in disbelief. Do not disobey the Holy Spirit if He is drawing you, nudging you. By faith, turn to Jesus Christ. And receive the gift He offers you. For by grace have you been saved through faith. Christ paid it in full over 2,000 years ago. It is finished. You can enter His rest. Jesus is our Sabbath. That's why it's not repeated in, in, in the sense of practice for the New Testament believer. Jesus is our rest. You can enter that rest today by faith. And if you're here and you're a believer, I don't know what you're struggling with, I don't know what your battle is, Jesus also offers you victory, victorious rest in Him. Surrender whatever it is at the foot of the cross and by faith follow Him. He will give you rest. Father, thank You for Your Word. Thank You for this time today. And I pray that in the quietness of each person's heart, they will do business. That there will be a genuine surrender, a genuine repentance, a genuine faith following. Out of fear and reverence for You, through faith, because of your finished work. And we'll give you praise. In Jesus' name, amen.